0: Today we're talking about a career in the video games industry with special guest and former Roblox employee Spotco, to learn about life in the video games industry, how to get a foot in the door and hopefully some words of wisdom for aspiring developers. As always my name's Bantech and I'll be your host for this journey, so let's travel beyond the blocks. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Blocks, the podcast all about the Roblox platform and game development. On this episode we're diving into the topic of pursuing a career in the video games industry, working your way up to a job with a AAA studio if that's something you wish to do, and we'll also touch on some of the less positive aspects and why some developers choose to keep programming as just a hobby. To share a perspective from the inside, we've got Spotco here to discuss it with me. So Spotco, who are you and what do you do?
1: Hey guys, I'm Spocko. Uh You probably know me from being the developer of this game called Robits. It's this online rhythm game MMO on Roblox. It's been out for a couple of years. Hopefully you can try it out. A few other interesting things about me. I used to also work at Roblox. If you really keenly track the developer forums, you might have seen me in the past talk about us, various features that our team used to work on. And currently, I work at a large AAA game studio that you might
0: have heard of before. Okay, perfect. So, let's dive straight into it and talk about where you came from. So, talking about college and what you studied there, did you study a computer science program?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I studied computer science at the University of Washington in Seattle. And Mm -hmm. I actually did not plan on doing anything like that at all when I first got in. I honestly thought I was going to be like a a graphic design person because that's what I was really into in high school. But freshman year, first quarter, I took this CS 101 class. I'm like, wow, you know, this is actually pretty fun. And the thing that really got me into it was the fact that I could program games. I remember like the first thing that I did was just like this text-based adventure game. So that was really the thing that motivated me to try to get good at programming. The other thing I do remember about just programming in general is that it's like an activity that takes a lot of free time. Yeah. I know some people just have a natural aptitude. I actually think it's just like pure amount of free time you can spend banging your head against the wall. At like, <laughs> you know, like that's how you get good at programming. And uh luckily, during college, I had, you know, I really, you know, I had ample free time.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. I remember specifically objects. I had a really tough time understanding those. And like, you had to use objects in order to like draw these like GUI things. I don't know if you had your own troubles with all this. So, all the classes were in Java. And at some point, I learned Flash. Uh, Specifically, I did Flash because that was uh, at the time, this was back in like uh, 2011. It was probably the best way to get a game in front of people. The joke that I like to make sometimes is that steve jobs killed flash and uh that's actually not too far from the truth if you go look it up online there is literally this letter that he wrote saying we need to kill flash and soon after that people stopped playing flash games but uh there's this really good point in time where like uh people are playing flash games and you can make a lot of money off flash games
0: you ever play flash games yeah so i I definitely play flash games i think that's probably where playing games on my computer started as a kid sort of they're they're quite easy to get on there's loads of free flash games out there there's lots of websites that sort of collate them all into kind of some lists and also they used to be the only thing that you could get through on the school computers so (laughs) we used to play them at school as well
1: yeah Um,
0: but i also i remember learning flash as well actually in my it class at, at school as well And I think that's probably where my first experience of creating a game started. Um, But we didn't really do too much programming. It was just sort of just enough to get by. Like the uh, Adobe Flash? Like it was like that integrated
1: editor and like, you know, you could edit all the keyframes. Did you do all that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, it was that sort of stuff. So animating things across the screen. Uh, And I think we started with just a simple animation where it wasn't really interactive. Uh, It was just sort of watching things go across the screen. Uh, and then it turned into you know adding a, a button here and making different things happen. Um, so I can see I can see why you'd start with Flash games definitely. Mm-hmm. It's it's an easy way to get in. Did you ever end up writing any? Uh, I remember it's called ActionScript.
1: There's like ActionScript two and ActionScript three.
0: In fact, now that you're saying it, I remember <laughs> I completely forgot about all of that. To be fair, but yes, I remember. I think it was version three uh, that we were programming in, and yeah, it was just just a few little light bits again. Um, but I I just wasn't happy with only doing what you could do on the screen with just animating things. I wanted to make it interactive, so I definitely looked into that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think the way uh, we were taught it was a little different. So I remember specifically how I got into it was there was this web development class that we did. So basically we had CS101, 102. They were all in Java, and you just do all your normal uh, intro programming stuff. And then we had this uh, third class, where you learn, you know, like HTML, JavaScript, PHP, that kind of stuff. And then there were these extra after class sessions that one of the TAs did, uh and that's where we learned Flash. And the way that they made us do it specifically, I think we used this like um this Flash compiler. I remember there's some way to like compile it from command line. And basically we did we didn't even use CS. Like we downloaded like this Flash compiler from the Adobe website. And we did all this stuff, and somehow it output an SWF, and somehow everything worked. Uh, at least for me, it was almost entirely code-based. But then, uh, like as I started doing more Flash games, I worked with some people online. Like, shout out to, um, I think, Guy Unger from the Netherlands. So I was somewhat involved in the Newgrounds community. And I was doing a little a collaboration with this guy online, and like you know, all he gave me was this—I think like Adobe CS Flash file. I'm like, I don't know how it worked this, man. I, you know, give me, the, <laughs> give me the code. But anyway, I figured it out because it's not too—it's uh, not too difficult. But just the way that, like, you know, I guess there's just, there was just a lot of ways to set up how your projects worked and all that kind of stuff back in the day.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's really cool actually that you started. Uh, sort of as a hobby again from the very beginning because um, as you say I think if you've got the free time to just bang your head against the wall for a while when it doesn't work and if you don't have really any pressure to do it you're just doing it because you're interested in it oh yeah um, that's that's a really good way to learn and I sort of did something similar but with Roblox as the thing that I learnt on um, and that was probably when I was 14 or maybe even younger so at school you just have tons of free time when you're at home It's crazy how much free time you don't have as you grow up. (laughs) But I think if you can learn early when you've got that time to spare and when you're really interested in it, definitely helps. I think that's definitely the best way to learn.
1: Uh, I guess one other thing I wanted to say was, uh, well, I was thinking, one, if I knew about Roblox when I was a kid, you know, I'd totally be into it. Uh, Kind of the equivalent, uh, I'm not sure. uh, Do you remember what year DevX became like, you know, it gave you money?
0: Uh, I think it was during, I, I had a five-year break, and I think it was during that break, so I came back and it was already here, but I think it must have been 2014, perhaps.
1: Okay, so there was, uh, I did make a little bit of money in my Flash Game uh, career. Uh, there's this site, and I was actually looking this up yesterday, it still exists, but it was called a flashgamelicense.com, and it's actually a very interesting model. Basically, you would sign up, as an independent developer, you would upload your game, and that's literally like you'd upload the SWF file of your game. And all these flash game portals, and there's still a ton of these, uh, all these flash game portals would bid on your game, and the highest bidder, you would get the money. And uh, for this game, uh, I think for my f- very first like big game, I made, I think like 700 bucks or something. And, you know, back in college, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. (laughs) But uh, and, you know, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe I could keep doing this. You know, this game took maybe like six months to make and I got 700 bucks from it. So I'm like, if I can make more games and faster, like maybe this could be a legit business. But I think not long after that, that's when the Steve Jobs letter or maybe the Steve Jobs letter already happened. Uh, This is like saying, um, I will never have Flash on the iPad. And then the Flash game market just slowly. I think it's still slowly collapsing or maybe it's already dead but uh anyway i just i checked it out yesterday and this site still exists it was flashgamelicense.com that's what it was called but now if you go to it it's like uh, it doesn't even say anything about flash games it's literally like selling your mobile games so that just goes to show how dead the whole flash thing is so you know i'll pour one out you know rip in peace
0: <laughs> no that's that's really interesting actually because I didn't realize that's how it worked. I I to be honest just thought that there was no money in making flash games and that all these websites were just free. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, so uh, at, at least just a little bit of specifics about
1: it. I don't know if you remember playing games on Newgrounds. there'd be that uh, whenever you played a game mm-hmm. they'd have like the intro with like some web portal uh, and yes. there's a there's a bunch of these. And I think the way the web portals work is they ran ads. So basically the web portals bought the games, the games would drive traffic to the web portals and then traffic would click the ads or look at the ads. And, you know, that's how the whole cycle worked. But it, you know, definitely not as lucrative and a lot more competition than an ecosystem like Roblox.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think Roblox is a good platform, but you just have to say, find it and start building on there. But yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. So sort of after college with these flash games, you then obviously went into doing sort of computer science and programming as a career. So where did that career start from college? Yeah,
1: so um, I was lucky enough in university that at University of Washington, they had uh, some good connections. Well, first of all, you know, since I was from Seattle, like the big companies are always hiring there are uh, Mm. Amazon and Microsoft. But I was lucky enough that I got an internship at Zynga. I remember just talking to, um, I think they had an engineer at this career fair. And I was just really nerding out about various Flash things. I forget what I was talking about in particular. I think, you know, long story short, like having these Flash games, that kind of got me my job. So, um, I guess if you're looking for a job out there, you know, if you can have some, like, cool side project to show, especially one that you made money off, like, you know,
0: I think that'll impress anybody, not just, like, recruiters, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And Zynga have quite an interesting business model, actually, don't they? Because it's it's sort of free-to-play games. What kind of things did you learn from working at Zynga? Yeah, so uh,
1: I interned there twice. Well, I think first of all, you learn a lot just from an internship. And mm-hmm. for me it was really interesting. Uh that was actually the first time living away from uh Seattle, so they uh, they're in uh downtown San Francisco. Uh what was interesting is that uh I went there right after their heyday. So uh like I think maybe like 2009 or so, the age of like Facebook games, they were really killing it. Like, you know, they got they had this like really fancy HQ they had all sorts of free snacks. But then uh, something happened to Facebook games. I'm not a super expert in it, but they were definitely doing less well. And like that was around when I was there. I think they just had layoffs. Uh, one of the things I remember is they used to have this thing called an Oddwala, which is like this really fancy, like this is this is some sort of like juice that you would see at Whole Foods. And the thing everybody, like the people that used to be there when I made a lot of money were telling me is that they used to have free oddwalla and now they're not doing so well, they had to cut the So Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting uh, to see. Like, you know, they still had their fancy office, but they couldn't throw all the same parties or any of that kind of stuff anymore. So uh, the mindset was a little bit like, uh, at least for Zynga when I was there, you know, they had these aging Facebook games. You probably know them from, like, Farmville, like games you would go yeah. onto Facebook and play. And they were in the middle of doing a transition. They knew that mobile games were the future. They unfortunately didn't have any mobile games period. So they were just like, you know, we gotta like try all these different mobile games. They weren't making as many as they could. They were like trying to make a, they would call it a few directed bets. I would say I learned a bunch of stuff when I was there. I think um, I, I thought about how was the best way to describe it. And I came to this right here. I would say the biggest takeaway that I got about game making when I was there from that internship was uh, what kind of mindset to have when you're making a game. And I would compare it like this: like when you're making a game on your own, and you know, so like what are the kind of things you think about? At least for me, it was like, let's make the awesomest game ever. It's going to have the coolest story, the coolest art it's going to be like uh, some other game that I played but better or like Call of Duty but with like anime girls instead. Yeah,
0: all right. <laughs> something like that, right? You just sort of, <laughs> you want to make something that you would play that's kind of an improvement from when you're playing other games. You're like, oh, I wish it had this, I wish it had that. You're kind of merging all of that into this super game, this amazing idea. Yeah, exactly. And then um, I think when you get professional,
1: or at least when you get professional at Zynga, I'd say it's like the difference between an artist and a craftsman. Like at Zynga, you know, there is a little bit, there is like creativity and like bouncing ideas and all that kind of stuff. But what they were really about was let's get a game with these set of features. They actually had this really funny word called fast follow. So when I was there, we were working on this game called Empires and Allies. Uh, so there was first the Facebook version of Empires and Allies, which was a Facebook game. And then uh, I think that got shut down at some point. And then uh, they did a mobile like realistic reboot. But the actual game itself was literally just like a uh, have you ever played Clash of Clans before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Almost the exact same gameplay of Clash of Clans, except for it was like realistic and 3D and like modern military. And they had the word for it, fast follow. We were trying to uh, fast follow Clash of Clans because that was uh, something that was proven to work. Okay, interesting. In some ways, it's a little easy to get cynical about stuff when you're talking about like we're doing fast follows. You know, we want to have feature parity with Clash of Clans. In some ways, is also, you know, I think, like, you can become a lot more creative if you have certain constraints. So, uh, you know, the way we talked about it was Clash of Clans, it has these set of features. Like, you know, we want to hit at least these many features before we have the game launch. And then on top of the features that we're going to do, we're going to have, like, X, Y, and Z differentiating features to differentiate us from Clash of Clans. You know, the, the most important one being our theme. Uh, clash of clans was all cartoony and our game was going to be like you know modern warfare i guess call of duty but it wasn't like first person it was still like top down but like realistic 3d explosions you know soldiers dying everywhere that kind of thing yeah yeah so that was the way they talked about games at zynga as opposed to this like wide-eyed idealistic we're gonna make the awesomest game ever that kind of thing
0: yeah okay that's that's interesting do you think that was because they were sort of in this survival mode or do you think that that's just where they pivoted to and they're still doing that now so
1: the other thing is that when you work at games at a large company like making a game that is a major investment you know like I was there twice at different internships and at their peak they had maybe like 40 people working full-time on this game and uh, you know these people are all making a San Francisco engineer salary so like when you make this game you're investing probably millions of dollars into it. So. When you're doing that, you want to have some type of uh, accountability or like, you know, you want well one, you want like proof that this game concept works so that like even just from that, you're going to play a little more conservative, like, let's do what already works. But like, you're going to want some sort of proof that the market, you know, the market is there. If you make this game, you're going to want um, you want to make sure that you don't not just like wasting time on like, uh, you know, stuff that matters in the end. So that kind <laughs> of thing.
0: So, sort of moving on from Zynga and mobile games, uh, where did you then go from there? Yeah, so um, after uh,
1: after I graduated from college, I bounced around at various startups in the Bay Area. My personal goal, at least, was still to get into a large game studio. Zynga and all these free-to-play mobile games are cool, but like I want to work on like some real games. And, you know, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. hardcore. I think that was my mindset back then, and. I remember running into like recruiters and them saying, how many years of C++ experience do you have on your resume? And I remember telling them, well, you know, I did do a little bit in university, Uh, but I remember that being a thing that uh, companies specifically were looking for. Okay, so they all want C experience? Yeah, they want professional C experience. I think one of the interesting things is um, in university, we did do C assignments, but they were like, you know, small little things. They were like 100 lines of C. Go write uh, printf or something from scratch or something like that. But then when you're out in the real world, uh, well, this doesn't just apply to C, but it's especially noticeable with C. when you're out in the real world, uh, you're gonna be working with this crazy. You're never gonna be writing anything anything from scratch, anything from just oh, I'll make that new visual studio project and just start from scratch. you're gonna be working from an existing code base and mm-hmm. uh I think that's just what they want to see specifically so I was in this mindset where I would you know after being at a couple like just random startups in uh Bay Area, I was looking for specifically something that would give me. See experience and I remember specifically I think I found Roblox from some sort of online game listing uh, I think I sent in my resume they did a couple rounds of interviews you know I went and played Roblox and that's why I'm in my account uh, I remember the first game the first few games I played were Phantom Forces uh, Pokemon Brick Bronze, I was, you know, I was very impressed and also had no idea what was going on IP-wise when I saw that game. And <laughs> uh, there was this one game that was like, uh, it, they recreated rides in Disneyland and you could ride them. I remember you could play, like, you could ride through the entire Tower of Terror in Disneyland. I don't know if you've ever, ever been to LA before.
0: Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I was... I, I tell you the truth I didn't really know what was going on with Roblox I was like do you guys have like contractors at the company making these games or like how else can you make them so
0: good so mm. well that just to sort of the variety even if you just click on four or five games on the sort of the front page of games completely different experiences and some of them you have your avatar some of them you don't have your avatar all sorts of different stuff so I can see how if you didn't know that sort of the, the creators were the players then that would be quite interesting intriguing I assume. Well, I don't know. Have you ever? I assume you've
1: had to explain Roblox to like friends or family before. Like, what do you say when you're trying to explain Roblox?
0: Oh, I don't know. It's sort of a big multiplayer kind of a sandbox. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to describe. To be fair, I think you can play all these different games that other people have created. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one because it doesn't really fit into any specific category. Like, you couldn't put it in a MMORPG kind of category because you're creating the world as well. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one.
1: I had to explain it to a friend recently, and man, what did I say? Well, I think the easiest way to do it is you try to explain in terms of other stuff. So I'm like, do you know about uh Minecraft private servers? And I think he knew <laughs> about that, so we were good from there. But uh, other times I've used like it's like a combination of Minecraft. And Steam, which is a, you know, that's a little weird. Like, you know, if you didn't know anything about it at all, it'd be on Minecraft and Steam. How are those two things related?
0: But yeah, Steam-like in that you've got all of these games here that you can play, apart from that most of the games are free to play, whereas they're not with other things like Steam. And then also you've got a common avatar that you play in all of these, and you've got this common currency across all of it. It's an interesting model, and I can see why it works. Yeah, yeah. I guess one interesting thing from the interview
1: experience is I think after you do all your various technical interviews, and this is all standard stuff. This is like um, they'll get you to a whiteboard and you got to like write things on a whiteboard. The mm-hmm. At least back when I was doing it, uh, it would always end with uh, you would go into Builderman's office and you would just talk for I think like this, like he wouldn't actually ask you coding questions. He just talked to you about like, what are you interested in and all that kind of stuff. And I do remember talking with him about Flash games. Like, you know, I I did a little bit of research about Roblox before going into the office. So I was like, wow, in some ways, this is really similar to like my experience with Flash games. It's like, um, I know Flash games, they definitely had less kids creating it. But the fact that there are all these tools and that anybody could use them and use them to make like uh, really cool looking animated stuff. I remember talking about that.
0: I think it's interesting as well that you got to sort of speak to the CEO of the company as part of your interview, because I think at other companies, or at least very big ones, you probably wouldn't really get to see or speak to the CEO that much. Um, so it's quite interesting that Roblox is still sort of small enough for that to happen. Yeah, I don't know if they still do it. Hopefully they still
1: do. I remember he was like, this was the thing that like he really wanted to keep doing, just uh kind of get to know every single new
0: hire yeah, that's nice, and I think it's probably inspiring as well to to be able to see them. Definitely, definitely. So that's good. So I assume that Roblox then didn't require a professional C experience for you to get a job there. Okay, so one interesting thing is uh, all these game
1: companies, uh, like the way they do their first round of interview is pretty similar. So they will give you this um, packet of questions, and it's almost like a CS, you know, one o two homework assignment. They will ask you. They'll, you know, they'll start out with some shorter questions. I remember one question that almost everybody likes to ask is, uh, "What is RAII?" Which is this thing called like um, resource allocation is initialization. Like they'll, they'll, they'll ask you all these um, C trivia questions, and then uh, mm-hmm. they'll ask you some of those, and they'll ask you a couple of actual coding questions, and you gotta go like code the C plus program. So uh, they definitely do test. Your C off the bat, but you know, I think they were just looking to hire, um, just people that knew how to code in general.
0: Yeah, okay, interesting. So, so what was your role at Roblox then?
1: Yeah, so officially I was on the uh client team, I think I had varied roles, uh, but in the end, it ended up being communicating with developers and figuring out uh what they wanted. So uh, I did a bunch of stuff. Uh, I think the very first thing people might remember that I did was, uh, do you remember when they added the community sift chat filter? Yes, I do. Yep. So uh, I was the one that implemented that on the Roblox client side. And uh, this Ooh. was when I was super new. I had you know, I didn't know that it was gonna be this huge thing, and then like, man, like hash hashtags or whatever.
0: Yeah, tagging the chat. Tagging. I think you're gonna be quite unpopular revealing that you're the one who implemented that. <laughs> That's okay, I, well, yeah, you know, I, I just did, I just did, <laughs> I just did the
1: part where we hooked it up to the actual game client itself. You know, I, yeah. you know, I absolved myself of anything involving the actual hashtags itself. But I thought it was funny how you know it basically became like a meme, like a joke. Yeah. So that was one of my very first projects and I had no idea like what kind of effect like I thought we were just gonna be like, Oh, you just hook this up and you just forget about it and then, you know, when we turned it on, like, you know, every start everybody started freaking out and I'm like, you know, holy crap. And I think one of the big things I realized is uh when we were working on the Roblox client, like you push out a change, uh you have the power to make a lot of people very unhappy. And also, hopefully, you can make them happy, too, by shipping good features. But um, it is tough. It is is very tough.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Is it sort of instantaneous? Like, you push it out and and that's it? Everyone upgrades the latest version? Yeah, I think uh, most of the stuff that we were pretty
1: confident that uh, it would work or that, like, it wouldn't, you know, cause anybody to freak out, you could just turn on instantaneously. Like, uh, we had this system called Flags, which is basically uh, every, I think it was Tuesday, they would ship out a new version of the Roblox game client. Uh, we were told to code things in a way where it's off by default, and then we have to turn on this flag in the back end, and would that would, lo- that would uh, make this feature go live. And I remember we turned on uh, this community sift feature, and I, I, I think I made like a couple of mistakes when programming it, and crashes started going up. And also people started being really angry over the hashtags, you know. So, like, uh, you turn on the flag and then you, we had these real-time stats where you could watch, like, the crash rates, you know, how many people are joining and all that kind of stuff. And crash rates went, went up. So
0: whenever that happens, you got to turn off that feature. Okay, interesting. That's That's an interesting way of programming it because sometimes even just in my games on Roblox, I'll try and program things like that where just sort of one variable can switch off that whole new feature. Um, and it's it's very useful, as you say, if you ever need to roll something back. Instead of just losing all the work that you've done, you can just switch it off for the moment, figure out what's wrong with it, switch it on again later, that sort of thing. Definitely. So
1: that is actually, if you follow like industry pra- best practices, that's probably not the best way to do it. So the best way you should be thinking about doing it, and uh, we did this for some features, like anything that we were really not sure of, we would do this thing called uh, percentage rollout. So imagine um, in some ways it's kind of similar. Uh, we are like, you know, we ship the feature in a update. Uh, it's turned off by default and then you turn on this flag that a certain percentage of players will have this feature. And you like, you know, you start out with like 1% of people have this feature on and then you ramp up to like five when you see that crashes aren't
0: going up and then you go up to 10, 50, 100, so on, that kind of thing. Okay, that's cool. So, just in general, like, what was what was it like working at Roblox? How did it compare to sort of your previous job on mobile games, and how did it compare to sort of your expectations of what the industry would actually be like? So, you know, one of the things I enjoyed the most was that
1: I did have a lot of freedom when I was there. So, after this community sift thing, which uh, you know, community sift was just something I was assigned on. After that community sift thing, uh, I was getting a lot of freedom just to figure out, like. Um, What is Roblox as a game engine really missing, and uh, you know what kind of features would be the highest bang for the buck? So uh, one of the next things I did was um, I think I was just messing around trying to make something, and I learned about like sounds. And back then, uh, sounds they didn't actually work on the server. Uh, they they weren't simulated at all if you created it on the server side, and I think they're missing a bunch of features. And also, I noticed that there were all these um, features that were really easy to add to sounds that would be cool. Uh, I think we called them like sound effects, like uh, you can mm-hmm. add a modifier onto a sound. And I realized they'd be really easy to add, but, uh, you know, and they weren't currently in. So, uh, basically, I made a pitch uh I had to make like the slide deck I had to present it in front of the uh department head and I remember at some point I had to present it to uh Dave Bazuki and you know we had to go through a couple of revisions of uh what we were wanting to do and all that kind of stuff but um it was a lot of that kind of thing it was a lot of um you know I have this plan of this thing that I really want to do and now uh if it affects a lot of people you got to convince like you got to convince people that you want to do it this way and uh if it didn't affect a lot of people, we could just ship this change. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, okay, you know, just another shout out. Uh, I forget if this is my idea or not, but uh, we changed the, um, this is super random. We changed, you know, when you set the volume in the Roblox client, it used to use yep. this uh, unique sound that you didn't hear anything anywhere else. And like, it would always keep that sound in memory. And uh, at some point, we changed that to the oof sound. And, uh, this is, you know, in the, when the oof meme was like, um, I think it was on, on the way up. So we're like, you know, this is a twofold thing. We could reduce the amount of audio memory usage and we can also boost this, uh, oof meme. So we did that. <laughs> it, was, it was a very random change. That took all of like, you know, five minutes. Uh, one of the other, uh, things that we did, uh, I had, I was actually less involved in coding this is uh, have you ever worked with the uh, developer modifiable chat before? Where you can change what the
0: chat looks like or the
1: size of it. Yeah, if you see in-game, like when you launch Roblox, like there's this chat folder or a chat service, and then there's like all this code. All the like module scripts and stuff. Yeah, so I was the one driving the fact that we should make it uh, modifiable. I think before we did that, if you wanted to like change the chat at all, you basically had to write it from scratch. And we had uh, an intern working on it. Well, we actually had two interns. We had uh, Exitsu, shout out to him, and uh, Gamer101 working on it. Uh, it was mainly them writing the systems and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I bring that up because actually in Robeats uh, at the time of speaking, I'm in the middle of uh, replacing a lot of that code with more performant code that can do other stuff. So I know uh, the chat, it ended up being a little on the complicated side, so I don't blame you (laughs) for it not having really dug too deep into it. It is very complicated. Uh, I guess that's one of my regrets, but um, so that was one of the things that we did. And uh, just I guess just another random thing, this one you probably do use, Uh, If you ever set a brick color three before, as opposed to that enum color, that was also just another thing that we knocked out. Uh, That one took a while, though. That one involved all these like networking changes and all that kind of stuff.
0: That's, That's really cool, though, that you can sort of come up with these ideas, convince people and put it in because I've definitely used the sound effects and I've definitely used the setting color, which is really useful when you're trying to color match something to a texture, for example. Super, super useful. So it's really interesting that you could just sort of come up with those ideas and put them in. And now everyone's just using them every day in their creations.
1: Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it was really exciting to be able to. And it was really motivational to be able to, you know, you write this code and you ship it out and like you'll see a bunch of happy people. And this this is also when I started getting into like Twitter and all this kind of stuff. I had a Twitter account forever, but I never used it. But like, you know, I'd ship this feature. Uh, like that brick color three, and uh, you know, I just see people tweeting about it. I'm like, wow, this is awesome! But then it also goes the other way around. I remember there's a bunch of, um, we did this one thing, this is internal, so you probably wouldn't even notice this, but we made the audio system multi-threaded or we turned on like multi-threaded mode for this audio system. So like you'd have less lag when loading big sounds, but then that caused all sorts of crashes and it was really subtle. And like, you know, we had to go through months of that. Like, oh fix this fix this code, ship the product, turn it on, see a bunch of crashes, maybe a few people complain. We gotta turn it off, you know, write the code, ship it again. And it was like a two week iteration cycle between like writing the code and seeing it, like whether it actually worked or not. Because, like, these crashes are so rare, we couldn't actually rep- reproduce them on our computer. But we could see them on the graph when we actually turned it on. So it was good and bad in some ways. Uh, you know, it, bad in the way that you're like playing with fire.
0: Cool. That's, that's really interesting to hear about. And while we're sort of on the topic of working at Roblox, if someone wanted to get into Roblox, I know that there's the accelerator and incubator sort of internships. So, what sort of do you know about those? What's the purpose of them?
1: So uh, I was around uh, the first round of accelerators. I know they had interns for a very long time and a lot of uh, a couple of the full time employees there like uh, Stickmaster Loop and uh, Merely slash I think they're twins and a few other people. Uh, they started as interns and became full time employees. But when I was there, they were really ramping up this uh, internship program and they uh, they had regular interns which was uh, they would actually come on the client team or the web team and do like real work and they had uh, this thing called the accelerators which was um, and I was there the very first summer they did it uh, they brought people over I think they paid them a full intern salary which was pretty good and they had you make a game and you know uh, I think like they did have somebody who was in charge of managing like you know make sure that you weren't completely slacking off but you know that always seemed really fun to me like you know i would like to be like full expenses paid three month vacation to go make whatever game i wanted so if you want to get an internship at roblox uh i know you definitely i i know they're all DevOr members and i know they do occasionally send out like posts saying uh taking applications so i think everybody that uh got in, they got in through that application right there. And I know uh, some of the people uh, they brought in weren't making new games. Uh, Some of the people were just, um, like they were brought in to improve their existing game. So I know like one of the most money-making games, I think something in Robloxia, like it's the the game where you have like houses and stuff. So they brought him in and his whole summer was just like, uh, he worked with some product managers to improve the monetization on his game. So they taught him, oh, if you make a starter pack and you make all this time-limited stuff, you're going to make boatloads more money. And that's what he did. And, you know, now he is probably a multimillionaire. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) you know, you can get a lot out of it. And, you know, there's a lot of different experiences to be had.
0: Okay, interesting. So do you think those sorts of skills and experience then put you in a better starting position if you wanted to go into the video games industry, sort of doing what you do at AAA Studio? Um, Or do you think they're only really useful if you plan to stick with Roblox and just stay on this platform? Okay.
1: Well, I'll talk about other people first before talking about myself. So shout out to uh, Abstract Alex, where after they did this accelerator program, uh, I think they had this uh, Robloxian high school game that was making enough money where they were just like, okay, great, we got started. Let's actually start a real company and have a real office. Hire employees who are also, uh, the other accelerators. And they were like, we're, we can just start our own company. You know, we're making enough money where, you know, we can like be 100% legit. So that is one path in. And if that works out for you, you know, I think that is probably best. Like working for yourself is really awesome. Not having a specific person be your boss. That's super awesome. Now, at least for me, um, so I, you know, I guess in the end, I was happy. I did get that C plus plus experience on my resume. Uh, yeah. So one, the, uh, one of the things uh, I I think is kind of interesting is actually at my current job, I am doing stuff that's actually pretty similar to what I was doing at Roblox. So I am working on their game engine. Uh, I'm actually working on their editor. I'm working on really similar tools. Uh, I remember like, uh, like. I did a lot of stuff in Roblox Studio, I'm doing a lot of the equivalent for the uh, in-house game engine at the place that I'm working at. I think the big difference here is that as much as we like to complain that Roblox Studio sucks, uh, it, it's got to be at least somewhat decent, because, you know, like millions of people use it every day, so like, you know, all the really crappy stuff has been fixed. For this in-house game engine, like, oh, some of this code's been around since like t- year 2000 so it is it is some real there's some real archaeology
0: so we'll move on then to okay. sort of Robeats and yeah. uh what you're doing on the roblox platform as as sort of a hobby mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about Robeats and what the game does Yeah, so
1: uh, I actually got the original idea uh, when I was working on all those uh, sound improvements. Uh, I played this game, uh, it's called um, Virtual Piano on Roblox, and I remember that was really cool. Like, basically, it would map your entire keyboard to a piano, and you could play a song, and then it would be completely networked to other people. Like you would just find all the sheet music that would look like, you know, QWE, RT, it would just be all these random keyboard letters. And if you could remember these keyboard letters, you could play music and other people could hear it. I remember when I played Roblox, I was just thinking, this is the most awesome thing ever. And uh, what I wanted to do with a lot of the sound changes would make it really easy to do this kind of thing. And uh, for the longest time, I had this idea of like, I wanted to make this multiplayer, real time rock band. So uh, that was where. Uh, That was where the original idea came from. And uh, I also had some experience doing uh, rhythm games. I had made uh, this one previously for a game jam called Moe Moe Rush. Uh, It's kind of a weird name. But this game, imagine, okay, you are this giant schoolgirl. You're running through Japan and like the Japanese military is trying to stop you. And they're sending, they're like throwing all these helicopters and stuff at you. And you got to punch them but then it's all like in time with the music. So, uh, that was, yeah, it's a pretty weird game. (laughs) We're into weird stuff. You can do this kind of thing when you do a game jam. So yeah, I had a little bit of experience, um, making rhythm games. Uh, so specifically I started Robeats for a Roblox hack week. They have this thing called hack week, which they do. I don't know, maybe like once every two years where you just have one week off to like work on whatever you want. And, uh, That's where I got the real core of Robeats down. Uh, Remember, my original idea was multiplayer, real-time rock band. And I think that was a really great experience. Like, after one week, I had something that I thought was actually pretty fun. And I think if you go look up on YouTube, I still had the original video of uh, the Hack Week demo where I had uh, Stickmaster Luke and the two Gamer 101s uh, playing this game. And, uh, you know, I think that's really important for just indie game development in general. I would recommend doing game jams because it does force you to get something out in a very short amount of time. And you'll just find out very quickly whether it's fun or not, just from like, you know, you have your finished product and you can give it out to people to actually play.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of good advice is to focus on sort of the core loop of the game first, because... Um, although you want to hit all of these different things, you know, when we were talking earlier about Zynga and they want to hit this feature and that feature and whatever, um, and sort of it can become quite um, sort of scientific and methodical. Sort of at the end of the day, it's still got to be fun. People still want to play it and get something out of it. So I think if you focus on the core game loop first, which is what I try and do with uh, sort of when I'm designing a game, uh, that definitely makes sure that it's at least fun to start with. And then you can layer on, you know, the monetization and all the other features as well. But as long as the core, the core concept is fun to play, uh, then you're sort of, you're onto a winner. So I think that's pretty interesting that Hack Week and and Game Jams can force you to focus on that.
1: Yeah. I think you get some of your best ideas. Well, you know, you get some winners, some losers, you know, sometimes (laughs) Hack Week, you get Moe Moe Rush, super weird game that is definitely, you know, this is weird, but sometimes you get winners too.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's pretty interesting. So, Robeats, uh, how many visits has it got now? Is it sort of 26 million or something, I think, when I looked? So, it's, it's clearly working.
1: Yeah, so it's been good. It's been going for a while. Um, let's see. Oh, we're pretty close to 30 million visits. I might, might do a little something
0: special for that. So, what sort of things then keep bringing people back? Because I assume people must keep playing for it to get to nearly 30 million now. What is it that keeps drawing them back to the game?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um one of the key things after after I did this uh like one week uh demo, I was, you know, that like had a lot of had a little bit of reflection time just to think like, you know, what kind of game do we want this to make? Cuz like after one week all we had was just the fact that you could play a game, you could play a rhythm game with multiple people and compete to see your scores. So, what we ended up doing was we were thinking, uh have you ever heard of this Nintendo game called Splatoon? before Mm -hmm. like we tried to make the core like loop of the game kind of similar in the fact that you have this lobby that's the city and you go and play uh matches and then you come back to lobby specifically i also wanted to integrate a lot of the learnings i had from zynga and all these various other startups in terms of like how to make a free-to-play game uh so i would summarize that as this um when you have a free-to-play game uh, kind of a, I guess it's a little cynical, but bear with me here. Uh, your goal is how do I get people to go from a free convert from a free user to a paid user? So how do I get people pay? And uh, the mentality that we learned was that uh, the way to do this is you want to make the game seem valuable in their eyes. And the way that you do, the way that you make the game seem valuable is you have them play multiple days hopefully in a row but like you know keep playing as opposed to like play pay once and like never play again so you want to have them coming back to the game like every single day hopefully multiple times a week that kind of thing so uh the systems in Robeats from the get-go were all about how do we incentivize people to play the game and then come back uh tomorrow the day after that kind of thing so that's where a lot of current systems you'll see um we have, like, this uh, daily song shop. It has, it, like, new songs every day. You know, I think that was one of the very first things that we did try to implement this. Uh, we're also doing a lot of these other, I guess, what you would call industry pre- best practices, such as uh, daily missions. You know, I think that's pretty obvious one, like new missions every day. Uh, we're also doing... Uh, This thing called a gotcha system where you have this like uh, basically a slot machine, you roll it and then you have to like collect all these things that come out of the slot machine. And uh, we got a few other things like uh, character progression through gear and uh, a lot of stuff for you to grind, slowly grind to work up for. So uh, So you're not like, you have not seen all the content after just like one play session.
0: That's the goal. Okay, cool. And you continue Robeats even now when you don't work at Roblox, don't you, as, as sort of a side hobby?
1: Yep, yep.
0: So for a while, in between jobs, uh, before I started my current company,
1: uh, I was thinking about working on... Well, I was working on Robeats like, full-time, every single day. Uh, so that was for maybe a period of, like, two or three months. And that's when I really, like, banged out a lot of these features. But then, uh, I don't know if you ever felt this, but uh, working at home all day, you get a little stir-crazy. So, you know... <laughs> wanted to get out a little bit more
0: so now it's just like a part-time thing okay and so you you then went on to work at this AAA studio so yeah in terms of going for that job was that pretty much your c programming experience from roblox that helped you to get that
1: yeah i ended up having a connection from a
0: previous job
1: recommend me to this current company and uh You know, it's the same kind of interview. They start with that uh, packet of C++ questions. They ask you all the C++ trivia. I'm like, you know, I definitely got this one in the bag. And uh, just, you know, just went from there. And I ended up having to move across the country. But, um, you know, I thought it was fun. In the end, it was a fun experience.
0: So if someone was wanting to go on to work for AAA Studio, and, for example, their course at college didn't really give them the opportunity to do C programming, would you, like, recommend that someone went out of their way to specifically learn it, at least to sort of get familiar with it so that they can start getting some experience?
1: Yeah, okay. So I would say, at the very least, you definitely should be branching out. Like, it'll it'll only help your own personal growth to branch out. Like, you know, like, I was doing, uh, like, C, and then, you know, I also had some experience doing web stuff. That's how we did all this, like, Ruby on Rails backend for Robeats. Uh, But I definitely do think it is uh, very valuable to just branch out and just go learn. Like there's all these niche areas of computer science, like I don't know, like compiler design or something like that. I think those are all uh, very valuable if you like learning to learn about, Uh, at least specifically for this uh, getting a job question. Well, I I would put it like this. I like out of college, I remember it was very difficult to even get past the first stage of interviews to these large game companies. So like, realistically the kind of places that are hiring new grads uh they're you know i i don't think you should just limit yourself to oh i have to work at blizzard or i have to work at um i don't know riot games or something those big companies those big name brand companies they got they get a ton of like new grads. like basically every guy in college who plays video games at some point has thought I want to work in video games, so like they get probably like thousands of resumes. So right out of college, it's a, it's somewhat difficult to kind of differentiate yourself. But the way you know, like just like anything else in life, the way you would get is you slowly work towards it. So like realistically, most of the job openings in the video game industry are at like smaller companies. Uh, the thing that makes a lot of money right now is free-to-play games, like mobile games. So I think a really like realistic place to start is go learn how to do mobile and you know I learned a lot of my C through doing uh, iOS stuff I worked on this iOS game for like um, two years and it bombed and I was very sad but I did get a lot of C experience from doing that so it wasn't it wasn't a complete waste.
0: That's interesting because so personally I'm not actually pursuing a career in video game development sort of for me I've kept it as a hobby on the side and I'm actually doing an engineering degree instead So I'm just sort of interested to know, when it's a hobby on the side, it's quite interesting. You do it in your free time. Um, It stays fun most of the time. What's it like actually working in an office every day and working for one of these studios, um, turning your hobby into sort of your professional career? Does that change it for you? Do you feel a bit differently about it? Yeah. Well, I would say for those people out there, if
1: you enjoy programming, I the quickest way to suck the enjoyment out of something is to be forced to do it every single day. So, you know, if you somewhat enjoy programming and you're thinking about getting into it, you know, as a professional job, you know, let's hope that you really, really enjoy programming. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just joking a little bit right here. But um, one of the things I will say is that uh, I'd say like, you know, me pers- for me personally, there's like two kinds of programming. There's like me staying at home, working on my hobbies programming which is great I love this program I live for this kind of program I can't wait or you know I, I got other stuff going on nowadays but like in the past I couldn't wait just to get home and just bang out some Robi's code and like you know I didn't have to answer on anybody it's just I just did whatever features I wanted that's great professional coding uh, it effectively is you are gonna be told what to do and uh you got to follow all these systems they got this thing called code review where one like when you finish your code you got to go send it to other coders and they'll comment on it and there's you know usually some people who are like very picky they're like oh you didn't do the indentation right you should change this variable name all this kind of stuff it might sound a little bit like I'm complaining right now i think another better way to summarize this is just uh being professional so like being professional in a coding setting is being able to work with other people. And I am complaining about like, oh, I'm being told what to do. I got to write this code in a certain way. But uh, when you're coding for a job, uh, it is ultimately about how well you work with other people. And that is, you know, it's, it is very different in the end from working with yourself.
0: Yeah, I imagine to be fair, it's, it's probably quite similar with a lot of hobbies as long as it doesn't ruin the hobby programming for you, as long as you can still go home and enjoy that side of it too. And uh, things like Hack Week actually sounds like a really cool idea at Roblox, where they give you a a little bit of time to just explore what you want to do uh, in your own time with no one, as you say, reviewing your code. So this is why I think, remember how we're talking about before, like
1: there were several Roblox accelerators that are able to start their own company? I think that the best kind of programming you can do is the programming that you do for yourself that's helping to uh, support yourself? Because um, obviously, it's got some downsides in that, like uh, you always have to be worried about your income flow. But um, I think that's, I think that is what everybody should be striving for. I know, like, not all people are cut out for the entrepreneurial life, but I'm guessing if you're listening to a Roblox podcast, you at least have some interest in making video games, making businesses, and all that kind of stuff. And I would say that's great. You know, that's what you should really be aiming for. Because um, when you're working for a professional company, what you're ultimately doing is you're trading your time for money. And like, you only got a limited amount of time in this life, right? Like, you know, we don't like to think about it that much. But like, you don't got, you know, you have some finite number of time when you have your own business and you know if you're listening to this i don't know uh where your roblox game is hopefully it's on the way up or hopefully you're slowly working on it the goal is you've done it you've done the work and then you can put it out there and you don't have to constantly be thinking about it and it'll slowly get you passive income and now that you don't have to actively do this exchange of time for money you can start thinking about how do I make this better and like that's you know that's ultimately how you get ahead that's how you get successful in life right there almost think of it like an investment when you're making this Roblox game if you're thinking about uh, how to monetize it how to make it popular it is an investment like it is an investment in yourself you're making an investment that will hopefully generate for you long term revenue and fame and uh, I don't know what else you get from Roblox
0: games. Uh, Yeah, like Twitter popularity or something like that. (laughs) And I suppose I've kind of just got one last question about uh, AAA Studios and a career in video games, which is, um, did your colleagues take sort of a similar pathway to you, um, sort of, you know, going to mobile games, hopping around a bit, getting some C experience, and then going into a AAA studio? So I would say a lot of... My colleagues here, okay, so at my specific company, a
1: lot of these colleagues are like, uh, they're pretty old, like, you know, they've been around in the game industry for a very long time. So the only commonality, I would say, among all of them is they all had some sort of C experience, uh, some sort of professional sea experience. So I know a lot of them, they used to actually be like mechanical engineers or like aerospace engineers. They used to write like, I don't know, the things that power airplanes or something like that. And then somehow they got into the game industry. So a lot of the programmers who've been there a long time, you know, they worked in other fields where they worked with like embedded software and that kind of stuff. Uh the other I guess the the common thing that uh, the common thing I do see is a lot of them are from game schools. I know there are several out there like Full Sail and DigiPen. Uh a lot of the designers and artists come from programs like that. So but the one disclaimer I will say on that is um if you go to a school like that, it's 100% not guaranteed that you're going to get your dream job. So just like anything else in life, you have to really work at it. And you know, you're going you're going to still be competing with a bunch of other people. But if you you know, if you've 100% decided that games, like, are your life's passion, and that's what you want to do, you know, definitely think about some sort of game school. Like, uh, I know there's one in Texas, I think it's like I know it's called Guildhall. I think it's SMU Guildhall. I know a bunch of people from there, from DigiPen, which is up in Seattle, and uh, that kind of thing. I definitely say you should follow your passion because, you know, like that's, you know, in some ways, that's what I'm doing with life, right? But um, you do want to be realistic about what are your uh, opportunities, what are your opportunities, you know, like, If not everything goes according to plan, like what's your plan B, what's your plan C, all that kind of stuff, right? But then, you know, I will say, uh, on a positive note, if you really want to differentiate yourself from the hordes of League of Legends players who are also applying for Riot Games, you know, one of the key differentiators that you can be is, you know, you want to show your persistence, your drive. You know, if you think games are your life's passion, you should show it in like how you spend your time you should spend all that time like banging your head against the wall learning how to code doing art learning roblox doing all sorts of stuff right so yeah i think that's the advice that
0: i'd give well that's all we've got time for this episode so if you enjoyed it please subscribe or follow the podcast to make sure you don't miss any of our future installments and thank you to our special guest Spotco for joining me today and putting aside the time to share your perspective on the industry to both inform and inspire future developers. Beyond the Blocks is brought to you by Bantech Systems, a development studio creating interactive games, systems, and solutions on Roblox. Find Bantech's profile on Roblox and click through to the Bantech Systems group for more information. Don't forget, you can listen to any episode of Beyond the Blocks on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and many other popular listening platforms. You'll also find it on the Bantech Systems YouTube channel. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode of Beyond the Blocks.